We'll start in Matthew. Why would Jesus talk in parables? He's spoken many parables because parables is a way to communicate something without really communicating straight up, which means that you have to actually pay some attention to it. And Basalem Ian says, I meditate on the word of the Lord day and night. I meditate on the word of day and night. We don't meditate on the word of God. We struggle to read Matthew. We fall behind on the Bible reading program. You can't even read it, never mind meditate it. David says he meditates the word and he delights in the law and meditates it day and night. Day and night. Not just once a day, he meditates it day and night. We struggle just to read it. We can't even keep up to a Bible program, but we want to meditate the word of God. Now, Jesus gives us a parable. I think one of the reasons, there are many reasons, multiple reasons to him speaking to us in parables. But one of them is for you to sit and meditate about that and be prayerful about the contents thereof so that God can speak to you personally in your life. But if God were to say, the kingdom of God is like a person who watches pornography, then it will be isolated to people watching pornography. It wouldn't be applicable to everybody in the room. But if he says the kingdom of God is like, and he uses a natural example, whatever your life is and whatever your thing is, you can still read your life story into that parable and extract lessons to you that is applicable to you because he didn't isolate it to a certain specific set of problems or variables that is only applicable to a very minute group of people. He speaks in a parable and he, he likens it to the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, he called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. We are stewarding the goods of God. Now, we as a church are stewarding this church. I as a pastor steward this platform. I can mismanage this platform by having any kind of speaker on this platform and having any kind of pastor who is unqualified or possibly not as fruitful as he ought to be or doesn't care about certain values, have them speak from this platform. And the moment he speaks, because you are seated, he is elevated. And because there is spiritual dynamics, what happens when he speaks, that stuff, like it or not, settles in you. And slowly but surely, if he is corrupted, you'll become corrupted. So I'm stewarding this platform. This platform doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. This building doesn't belong to me. It belongs to us. And in fact, it belongs to God. This chairs, this building, the name of this church, the name of, of our uh, our value system, all of those things belongs to God. We are stewarding those things. I don't think you own anything. You, in fact, came onto this planet with nothing. And when you die, although they bury you in a suit, that suit doesn't go with you wherever you're going. You go out of this world. All the money you had in the bank, you can't take your Bitcoin with you. Although you can't see the Bitcoin and physically touch the Bitcoin, it's not going with you anywhere. It's staying right there in that USB stick where you hide it. And if somebody stumbles onto that, they're going to spend your Bitcoin and you can't do anything. You can't shout from heaven or hell to make them stop. And you will leave here quite naked as well. So you have nothing. Everything you have is what God gave you. So somebody has a talent, they can sing. And now they think they're very, they, they elevate themselves because of the talent to sing. And they think that because I can sing, I'm something special. What did you do to get that talent? Obviously, you can practice to make it better. But if you have, I've tried very hard to practice, but my singing is not getting better. Because in singing, there is some underlying dynamics and, and uh, 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 organic things that you need, stuff within your DNA and somehow your vocal cords. All of this has to work together. And you can practice and you can make it better. But you have an underlying gift from God, which is singing. 
You're not special that, because you are, we, we kind of handle you like you're special. But you got that from God. What did you do to get it? It's a gift from God. Some of you have the ability to, to count really well. You see the numbers float in the sky and you can put equations together. You understand that's a talent. Let me tell you right now, that's a talent. How do I know it's a talent? Because I don't have it. I don't have it. Some of you, few of us have been gifted with looks. <laughs> what do we do to earn it? Nothing. We just woke up like this. And you're on the front page of a magazine and you think you're all that. It's genes, not genes, it's your genes. Stuff that God put within you and you got that. And you can work it, you can make it better, you can exercise those gifts. But you, we are stewards of what God gave us. None of anything that you own really is because you are, uh, if you have an atheistic worldview, then you can believe that you evolved from a frog and then you eventually earn what you have. But if you have a, a theistic, is it a theistic worldview, you have to believe that somehow God put that in your life. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to far country. He called his own servants and delivered to him his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. To his own ability. How, whatever talents you have is according to your ability. So if you have great talents within your life, God had to have thought that you have the ability to manage those talents. So if you're managing them not well, it's not God, it's you. Then you had received the five talents, went and traded with them, made another five talents, and he likewise who had received two gained two more, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and, his lord's, uh, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came, brought the five talents. He says to him in verses 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. You were faithful in a few things. He was the guy who had the five. He had the most. God said you were faithful in a few things. So what we equate to, to what we would say is a lot, God calls few. Yet we are small minded to say large church are not from God. A large church with many people, successful pastors, successful leaders, successful Christians, successful businessmen. The moment you put Christianity in there, we have a problem with that because that can't be God. God wants you to be. God considers that few and small. To God, that's not much. So even the guy who had, if we have the guy with five, I have to make, you, make it slow so you have. If you have a guy who has five talents, a guy who has, what was the other one? Two and one. Five, two and one. In the group that God, the population in this equation is, is the guy who has five is the guy who has the most. So if we were to take this group of people here, the guy who would be the most gifted, God calls that few in the story. So he is not taking the guy at the, the bottom of the pool and trying to teach us through the poverty of the poorest person in the room who has the least ability to do anything and complains about everything. He's taking the guy that's really on the top of the pyramid to teach us something. Why do we insist that we use people that are so useless and want to make them useless so that they can fit in with my small-mindedness? 
God is taking the guy who is the most successful out of the group. And he gives them the most and expects the most of him. And lo and behold, the useless guy couldn't do anything with, the, with what God gave him anyway. What if God gave him five talents? The guy who had the most talents doubled the most talents. The guy who had the five took the five, made five more. It tells you something about capacity. If any of you were to have your own business, how many of you are entrepreneurs or trying to be? Just, I want to see just this measure. Who dreams of being an entrepreneur in our country? All right, a few of you. I'm, I'm going to want to tell you just one thing. That if you put your hand here, I don't think you'll be either. Because you also don't know. If you wanted to be an entrepreneur, you have to be like, that's me. Because if you want to do it, you have to own it. And because the pastor, I remember the pastor in our church when I was growing up said, who wants to own their own business? And I didn't want to stand up. And my friends were all in the room going, like, yes, I want to do it. I want to. And I never felt the guts to stand up because I never felt that I was qualified or had the right to stand up in a room like that and say, I want to. I think that slowed me down because I was too afraid of people's opinion about me that I felt that I had not got the right to stand up in a room and say, that's what I want to do with my life. And I kept seated. And today I want to tell you by the grace of God, I have my own businesses. And I am succeeding in all of those things because somewhere God fixed my broken small mindedness and helped me understand that if I want to do something, I, haven't, I don't have to be afraid of people. I can put my hand up and say, God, here I am, send me. But if you're sort of confused if you want to or not, I don't know if that's going to work out for you. He took the five talent guy. Now, here you have, if you were to think about South Africa and the people you know, people on um, Facebook Marketplace selling a painting, people on Facebook trying to sell a shovel, people on Facebook Marketplace, that's, that's the best place. I I've never sold anything on Marketplace. I've had other people sell Expensive stuff that you can try and put a, as a marketing. But if you're trying to sh sell a shovel, I don't know. But if you take people that are one talent people. Between the people that you know that are successful, five talent people, two talent people, and one talent people. Which one do you think complains more? Which one do you think has an outspoken opinion more? What is the mindset of a one-talent person? Now, I want to try, if, my, if I wanted to be a successful person in life, I would try my very best to get away from a one mindset that you can easily identify in a one-talent person. I want to get away from a one-talent mindset as far as I can. Because this one-talent guy is going to drag you down with him and complain about how the five-talent guy got what he got. I want to get away from a one-talent person as far as I can. And this story about the kingdom of God tells me that God still works in this way. He is not a socialist kingdom. He is not distributing equally to everybody in this room. He is not distributing what we would want in 2024 is according to school systems. You show up, you get a participation trophy. We want a God that handles each one of us equally. So in other words, you showed up, and because you showed up, you should get a million bucks. If he gets a million, you get a million. Even if he worked harder than you, you get a million. The, this parable tells me the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. Your prayers will not be answered that way. Can we appeal to some logic this morning? God is not because he is good. 
because he is a good God. He has milk and honey for you. He is not going to distribute in this, in this room equally to everyone. He's going to distribute according to your ability and it's going to have different scales in it, but he's going to expect you to perform at the level of your ability. And when he came back, he said to the five talent guy, well done, you were faithful over the few. He doesn't come and go like, well, I gave you so much and you're such a man. He goes, that was a few. But because you handled the few well, let's give you a rule, make you a ruler over much. He does the same to the two talent guy, but he gets to the single talent guy. Then he had received one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. Watch the, the length of the sentence. The first guy, um, the second talent guy, he says, also he would receive two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I gained two more talents besides them. This is the two talent guy's mindset. You gave me two, I made two more. End of story, bullet point. Look at what the five talent guy does. One talent guy. Well, he says, then he would received one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. So he is now talking nonsense. He's trying to smooth talk God. God, I know you to, he's, a, he's, he's scheming. I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered. His whole sentence rhymes. He's so smooth with his words. You know what? He still only has one talent. Your words can be clever, but you still have one talent. The point is, Faith without works is dead. It's not faith and words. It's faith and works. Some people wanted faith and words. I speak a lot. Sir, speak a lot. <laughs> we have no son. And I was afraid. I went and I hid your talent in the ground. He has enough capacity to make a plan to not perform. Many of us can talk ourselves out of a breakthrough Making a plan not to succeed. We can, we, you can say, ah, young, I play in Boxberg and the opportunity is in Pretoria. I don't have a car. My parents are not wealthy to pay for my education. I paid for my own education. My parents paid for me to go study uh, computers, etc. Began to work. And after that, whatever I studied after that, I paid for that. They paid for me. The first few things that I'd studied in, in, in computers, I didn't go like my parents doesn't have money uh, at that time of their lives. I can't afford to go to university. My dad actually would have paid for university. It's not, that wasn't the problem, the money or not having the money. It was moi who thought to myself, I'll get a head start and work immediately. So if you, if you have an excuse, you can find a reason to not succeed in life. Yeah, I'm not so slim. a book. No, I don't want to read a book. I want Jesus to do a miracle. Well, he's not going to do a miracle by making, he's not going to do a miracle called make you smarter. If he put how to get smarter in the DNA of a human being, in other words, your brain, if you activate it, it gets bigger. You, you create new, new, new neural pathways, etc. You can make your brain smarter. So God put that into the mechanics of being a human being, but you want him to do a miracle. Other people have to work it, but you don't have to. You think God is a socialist. I'm pointing you to Jesus. Don't, don't, be very, don't be confused. I'm trying to help you understand how Jesus works in your life. We have to understand that God gave the one five talents, one two talent, one talent. 
And both, all three of them did something different with the talents. And it's normally the least able person who has the most to say, but the least fruit to show. If you find yourself there, maybe you should have less opinions and more questions. Because how else are you going to succeed in life? And what God did is, he doesn't come to the guy with the one talent who is struggling to get through life and to make it because life is just hard and life sucks and my parents suck and my school sucks and my neighborhood sucks and I grew up on the wrong side of pick and pay. And all it will lead in ons moet yet. What he did is Jesus comes along the story. He takes the one talent guy's one talent and the one talent guy thinks that he's appealing to the mercies of God. God takes his one talent. He doesn't go like, oh, at least it's here more. He takes his one talent. You know what he does with that one talent? You know what he does with that one talent? He takes it and he gives it to the guy who has 10 now. Now the guy who has 10, he has a miracle because he worked for five, but he has six. Who gets the miracle? The guy who's working. He has a miracle because he had five. He worked for five. So his accounting says, I had five. I had a profit. I multiplied it. I have 10. Then he logs into his bank account and goes like, no, I have six extra. My accounting doesn't account for that one. Where did I get this one? I don't. That's a miracle. I want to ask you, in which category do you want to live your life? And which one of these categories do you want to spend your life? Now, God does answer him. He says to him, but the Lord answers to him, you wicked, you wicked. Wicked is a word we equate to evil. He calls the one talent guy wicked, which is, I think in other translations, it does actually use evil. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. You wicked and mm, lazy servant. Now, the word, people say you shouldn't preach messages that is a self-help message or, or talk about the person. You should talk about Jesus. Why is Jesus putting verses in the Bible that talks about lazy people if we're not talking about people? I'm not allowed to teach you about you. I'm supposed to point you to Jesus, but Jesus is calling you lazy. The word lazy is in there. You can put it on the screen so that we can just highlight that. The Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew... So you are not without excuse that I reap where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered. That's according to your own testimony. God uses your own excuses against you. So you ought to have deposited my money. Whose money is it? Whose talent is it? Whose gifts do you have in your hand? My money with the bankers. Who's the bankers? If you want to, the word banker shouldn't be in the church. Jesus is telling his people to use bankers. That's a business word. Christianity and business should be separated. And my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. You should have, if you don't know how, put your talent in the hand of somebody that does know how to work that talent. So not all of us has the capacity to work for ourselves, but that's not an excuse for not succeeding. Some of you are better working for a company where you have a boss, but we can't listen to our bosses. So the church is there to help you, but if you can't submit to, in the story, to oversight or to leadership or somebody that knows how to use your talent, and the talent, and, and you are working, you, you don't show up, you're not trustworthy, you're lazy, 
how can we keep buying you vouchers for food? So at to what point do we keep helping you and you remain lazy? So I'm trying to address that. So I'm starting here to tell you that although we might lose people today, I'm telling you that the kingdom of God works this way. You work. You pitch up. You show up. The Bible says, let your yes be yes. When you say yes, your yes is yes, not yes maybe. Yes, I'll see how the wind blows. Yes, Monday morning is a different day. Let's see when I wake up. When you say yes, your yes is yes. When you promise something, you do. You know how many times in business I had to pay in? Because that's my personality. That's, the, that's how God governs me. If I get involved with anyone in business and something goes wrong, I'm the one paying, not you. Because the, the senior position that I have in your life puts me at that responsibility. I can't want to be a spiritual father to many, but act like a child. I looked after, my parents looked after me, I didn't look after them. And if you wanted to be a senior in your house, then you learn how to look after those that's under you. But we turn it into the spiritual realm around. I, when we go out for a cup of coffee, you don't pay for me, I pay for yours. That's how we run as leadership within this church. Now, let me, I'm working, so give me a, I'm, I'm trying to appeal to your logic. We worked, uh, walked into, out of COVID, into another church, and I walked in there with Pastor Louis, and I walked into the building, and their worship team recognized me and Pastor Louis, and they said, can we pray for you? And I said, yes, of course, of course. And Pastor Louis and I were standing there, and they were praying for us, this worship team. And as we were standing there praying, and it was really awkward, and I, as a pastor, I'm always the one praying, not the one receiving, so I was standing there like this. <laughs> so I don't know how to... At one point, I'm looking at Louis. And Louis is standing, Louis looking at me, standing like this. <laughs> and then I hear this loud voice coming next to me, uh, and it begins to pray, open our eyes, that's the pastor of the church. I've never seen him. I don't know if he's an usher or a, who he is, but he's the pastor of the church. And he says, I don't know you, but God just told me I should give your church a million rand. That's a miracle. I want to tell you, that's a miracle. And he actually, their church donated a million rand to us to build this building, which I think is, is, is quite amazing. I was thinking about that. Because we're getting into a position where in the future we're trying to buy a new building somewhere. We don't know yet where and how and what. But we are praying about this to know exactly what the next steps would be to find the next building or two. Do we build? Do we buy a facility? How do we do it? And at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, I said to the pastor, when we are in the ability to do so, I want to take a million bucks and add it to whatever you're investing in. And I want to sow that to a church that we believe has a person that is standing up and doing something for Jesus. Somebody said, I want to donate 100,000 rand towards the kids' ministry. They did actually. I think they did. Where's Anneli? Did they pay it? She's in Brooklyn. I think they did give. The, is this okay? We're talking. They gave us the 100,000 rand. I've ordered the blinds with that 100,000 rand. That 100,000 rand is in my mind. Since the day they told us, I haven't phoned the guy. I don't know who the person is. I'm not going to give you a thank you. I don't care what your name is. You gave it to Jesus, but I'm the steward of it. 
That 100,000 rands going into the blinds for the youth kids ministry because they said, can you use this in the kids ministry somewhere? I would have a problem if 20,000 went, went into the kids ministry and 60,000 rand went into my bank account or to pay for a holiday. That would be problematic. I, have to, I do get a salary. Uh, the Bible says he who preaches or he studies in the Word is worthy of double honor. He's talking about money. I do get a salary. Or pastors do get a salary. I do have my own businesses as well. But if you were to, if I were to give somebody, so most churches' problem is not that they don't have a million bucks. Most church pastors' problem is not that they don't have a million rand. It's that they don't have a mindset to manage it. I know pastors who plant a church here, then next month they're in another neighborhood, then the next month they're in a different neighborhood, and none of their church plants lasts. It, how does that show faithfulness in little? When we planted the church, we planted our first church building across the road. No, that was the second. Brooklyn was actually first. We are still in the same building that we planted Brooklyn campus in. We are in the same building, well, we're in the opposite side of the road where we started this church. That talks to me about faithfulness. That when we go into a community, that we, we know that we're going to hit storms and issues and problems along the way. But if you look for us, we'll still be there. Because if we start, then move and start and move and start and move. Do you think all those starts and moves doesn't cost money? And if we keep on spending money like that, how are we stewarding and increasing nothing? That's my story because that's what I'm responsible for. My question to you is, what are you stewarding? Because we're trying to wait for God to give us a million bucks so that we can steward it. But I think the million bucks that that pastor gave us came at our ninth or eighth year of being a church. I didn't get anybody so a million bucks into our church when we started. Because we had nothing to, no fruit to point to, to say that maybe this is God. And if you're waiting for a million bucks, the million bucks is not the problem. That's why they say if you win the lottery, you'll be broker than you are before you won it. What are you stewarding? Did God give you a job at the company that you're working at now? And if he gave you that job, how, does that, how do you perform that job? How are you walking into the office? Do you, like, like, do you look like somebody drove, drove over you on the way there when you walk into the room? I've completely run out of time, but I'm going to, I'm going to turn, I'm going to ask the pastors to help me turn this into a series, wherever they're preaching and where I'm preaching for the next week or two. I want to talk to you through the pain of the breakthrough. I want to talk to you about the cost of winning because we serve a God of miracles and this building is an absolute miracle what God has done. But if you look at the past two years, you'll see photos of me standing in the concrete, mixing it with the people. You'll see me blood, sweat, and tears fighting with you alongside all these people in this church to make it stand. Now we are standing here and people go, that's a miracle. And it's an absolute miracle for this to be here. But that was faith mixed with works. And this is the result. And the reason I want to preach about this is to try and get you to understand that if you want to be more than just a small-minded, barely surviving Christian, there's going to be a fight in your life. None of the patriarchs, none of them, David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, none of those dudes got anything without a fight. 
You know what Uncle Moses had to go through to be who Uncle Moses is? And you think, you're just going to close your eyes and Jesus is going to download into your mind the, the recipe for a next cappuccino that will change the world. Come on, people. Does that make sense? So here's the homework. Meditate on this word day and night. Meditate on this. Are you a one, two, or five talent kind of guy? And if you are a one talent kind of guy, are you hiding your talents because you don't have enough? Because I would rather be a one talent guy and work it because you know what happens to a one talent guy that works it. You'll soon be a two talent guy. And if the two talent guy keeps that up, he'll soon work himself into a five talent category. And if I'm a five talent category kind of guy, I'm at the top of the ranks. And where we started off as a church ministry was in a thatch roof where you can seat 50 people. And now we're national. I don't think we started off as a five talent church. I think we started off as a one talent guy, an outlier, an underdog. And yet God is doing amazing things in our lives. What if that can happen in multiple churches in our country? But we need thousands more like that to change this nation. Imagine all of us, we get to a level where what God puts in our hand, He can trust us to multiply it. Whatever God gives me, it's going to increase. Whatever I'm stewarding, it's safe with me. I want to tell you the mindset we have. I, I landed the airplane, but there was a wind. So we're lifting off again, and we are rerunning for a landing. When I ask my, asks my wife, when we go to Cape Town or Durban and I rent a car, I rent, I rent a Polo TSI because that's the car you want. There's nothing like a Polo TSI. I've rented nicer cars than that. Was this, that's when there's a special or they give me an upgrade or discount. But I 99% of the time rent a Polo TSI. And Chanel is my witness. Every time I park, rent a car, Hertz, Hertz's Polo, I park it in a place where I know that when somebody opens the door, they're not going to scratch it. It's not even my car. But I handle that car. I park their car where I would have parked my car. Exactly 100%, not less, exactly the same. I don't park their car because it's not mine where the closest parking is. I park it far away where there's an open spot and I check that they can't scratch the car because my nature is a steward. And because I don't think God's stuff is mine, that car that is not mine is handled in the same way because I'm doing that as if unto God. That, that small minute detail is what leads to success. I think s s small stuff like that influences where you're going. If you're faithful in the little, He'll appoint you over the much. But most of us don't handle the, the small stuff. Somebody said this. How you do anything is how you do everything. How you do anything is how you do everything. Amen. Father, I pray. Salvation is free, God. Thank you. Because we were lost, broken, and completely without hope. Then you stretched out your hand and you picked us up into your boat and you saved our lives. We added nothing to it. All of that was done completely by you. But now that we are your children, 
You give us the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do something. You give us the Holy Spirit to help us work. You give us the Holy Spirit to follow after Jesus. You give us the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one called alongside, to be our comforter, to be our teacher. What is the purpose of a teacher if we don't learn? So that we can learn and grow into the image of Christ. That we, as an example to the world around us, can show who you are by the way we do things. Sure, God, we stumble. You, your word says the righteous stumbles, but he gets up every time. Let us be that kind of people. Not perfect, but righteous. When we fall, we get up, we dust ourselves off, we learn the lesson, and we are better for it. And let your light shine in us. We are salt scattered all over. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Is that all right? You're good? God, God, a proper praise in the house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.